Taylor. Whoa! <laughs> I literally had turned. I literally had turned to my microphone to do the thing, and you did it. How the turntables turn. <laughs> That's not all right. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Taylor. Hi, I'm Emily. <laughs> and this is the uh oh feeling. And this is us doing a shot of tequila. Yay! <laughs> I hope that was as sonically horrifying for everyone as I tried to make it as I did it. I got oh. the lime in my lime. The lime's in the nasal cavities. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Ah. Hmm. Well, that's the most fun our episode gets, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just a warning. <laughs> this may not be a funny one. We, you know, we do our best to produce some levity into really shitty things, but uh, well. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna be like. Yeah, this is going to be fine, but like I might get emotional at the end of mine. Totes legit. Um, we talked about last time doing stuff for Black History Month. Uh, oh, that was going to be so hot. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have such a weird boner right now. Ooh. <laughs> and you're into it. We're uh, really both learning a lot about each other it's tonight. It's been a long week. So I've heard. Yeah. 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 You deserve some fucking shots. Fucking garbage. I also. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, now we both have weird boners. Ooh, ooh yeah. <laughs> Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yes. We record on Fridays now because we release on Mondays and it's way better and it's we just love it. So much better. It's so much better. <laughs> I don't know why we did that to ourselves. We were releasing with like four other podcasts and we were trying to do one per day. Yeah. And like Friday was like the one that was left, I think. And yeah. it just still bad choice. Bad choice. <sighs> Now we're not competing with anybody on Mondays because as far as I know, that podcast isn't going anymore. So uh-huh. <laughs> we're fine. Okay. Look, it happens. People it are busy. Getting yeah. a podcast going is really hard. Yeah. If any of our listeners are currently also podcast hosts, they will know for sure that like that is very difficult. And I'm personally proud of us for making it to episode 42. Yeah, it's episode 42, it's which makes me happy. Episode 42. Yeah, this is, this episode will give you somewhere in here a coded message of the meaning of uh, life, the universe, and everything. Probably. I mean, <laughs> actually. I mean, who knows? Maybe. Maybe. M- and maybe the meaning of life, the universe, and everything is literally just that people are garbage. Or it's the podcast we made along the way. Maybe the friendship was the <laughs> podcast <laughs> we, made we made along, along the, way. the way. Yeah. Oh, man. We are already learning so much about life. Also, people are garbage. Well, shall we kick off this, um, I'm putting party in quotes? Look, we're talking about people who survived some shit. I, I mean, I don't know yours at all, but like... The literal civil given war. Given our subject matter, it's like... The literal civil war. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, mine is uh, just pre. And a little... Oh! And some post. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't really mention the war itself, though, so I'm excited to hear about <laughs> yeah, yours. Don't worry about that. Everybody's sad. Let's go. Everybody do a collective sigh with us. <sighs> All right. And now All right, you're prepared cool. emotionally, yeah. mentally. All right. Let's do this. I am going to tell you the story of, I believe the name is pronounced Kujo Lewis. Okay. That is his Americanized name. Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but it is the name he went by for his entire life um, after getting here, of course. So that is the one I am going with right now. Um, so, a little bit of background first on our good, good survivor, Kujo Lewis. The year is 1860. Oh. It is one year before the start of the Civil War. It is. Yeah. Slavery 
for the time being, is still legal Def. in the United States, yep. still heavily practiced in the uh-huh. South. Uh, and But the international slave trade has been illegal in the country for over 50 years. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's weird. Like, we're allowed to have slaves, apparently, but we can't get them yeah. anymore. They kind of looked at what was happening on the boats, and they're like, hmm, okay. at least At least that part was weird. Yeah. But... The, our country is still at this point getting new slaves from somewhere. We're down in the Caribbean. Oh yeah, uh, boats would it oftentimes really... stop in the Caribbean or nearby areas, and then they would find other means to bring slaves into America. Yeah. However, there were some people just flouting the law left and right who really just didn't give a shit. I mean, about a fifty-year-long law. Yeah. So, the ship I'm going to tell you about. Uh, it is called the Clotilda. Oh my god, we're both talking about ships. Yay! <gasps> so this particular ship that I'm talking about, the Clotilda, it didn't pull into the Caribbean. It didn't pull into Mexico. It pulled right up to fucking Alabama. <laughs> it didn't give a shit. Let me tell you why. <laughs> it's just like, burp. Yeah. Knock, knock. <laughs> oh, we're here. Hello, um, Alabama. Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? Are there people on board? No. 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 no, 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 no. no. What are you talking no. about? Just ignore those screams. <laughs> so our survivor, Kujo Lewis, was aboard the Clotilda. He was 19 years old at the time. His original name was Kosula. He was born in a country now known as Benin in West Africa. Uh, members one night of a neighboring tribe came. In the night, they massacred his friends, family, neighbors, and they took all the sort of young, able-bodied people to the coast, um, to a trading harbor, and then those people were bought um, and brought aboard the Clotilda uh, by traders, and uh, they were bought by Captain William Foster. It's good money. Yep. This was uh, Kujo and 116 other people were bought by the captain, brought aboard this ship, and they spent several months aboard this ship. If you haven't ever read a story or heard any anything or about what it's like on roots. a slave ship, it's fucking horrible. It's awful. It's really cramped. It's months long. It's always a harrowing, horrible journey. Yeah. Like, and of course they're not, they don't care about what happens to these people. Most of them should live so that they can get their money over on the other side of things, but otherwise they don't care. Because they don't see them as people. Right. Yeah. They're, they're for money. They're cattle. They're. Yeah. They're property. Yeah. It's garbage. Yep. But so Kujo and 116 other people from his area went through this journey. From what I could find, the reason for this is that the Clotilda was owned by a businessman named uh, James. Uh, his name's a little weird, like Mir. Sure. Um, I don't give a shit, right? Like, Fuck him. I'm going to mispronounce his name. Fuck you, James Fuck Mir. Fuck you, Meerkat. <laughs> so he was determined to bring slaves directly to America because he had bet another businessman $100,000 that he could do it, that he could flout the law, and that he would not get caught. So this is what that journey is. Wow. Yeah. Um, he was basically correct in his ability to do that. There I were... mean, yes, but also, mm. wow. Uh-huh. I know. What a, what a horrible bet. What a dick. Um, he, he did almost sort of get caught. The problem is that the law moved even slower then than it does now. So, like, on, when the ship was en route, they found out, the authorities found out 
what they were probably carrying. Um, and so they sent a summons and a writ of seizure to Mir and his associates. Uh, but it was like a five month de- delay between when they sent the summons and when it was received. <laughs> oh my God. So uh, in that time, the boat arrived. Their captives were sent off to different places. There was no evidence left by the end. So yeah. this guy got away with it basically because shit is slow and snail mail was all we had. And nobody in his area even heard that he was doing anything wrong until they couldn't prove it anymore. Yeah. So the Clotilda made landfall at night in Alabama. Kujo Lewis and other captives led into a swamp where they were told to lie low for like a week. So they just lived in a swamp just so they could everybody could cover their tracks. The Clotilla was an 86-foot merchant ship. It was not small, but they burned it. They just they just took it out into the ocean and lit that shit on fire to get rid of ev- any evidence that they were harboring human cargo. I imagine that at this point, if you're winning a bet for $100,000... You can fucking burn a you ship. You can burn a ship, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It, yeah, that's... Right. Yeah. Plus, like, you're not even supposed to be doing this. How many times are you going to use that ship again? Uh-huh. So... So, unfortunately, these other survivors of the Clotilla and our good, good survivor, Kujo, were stuck in a swamp for several days. And then slowly, bit by bit, they were split up and sold to different plantation owners across the American South. Um, This is a quote from Kujo. Um, He said, we were very sorry to be parted from one another. We did 70 days across the water from African soil, and now they part us from one another. Therefore, we cry. Our grief is so heavy, it felt like we couldn't stand it. I think maybe I die in my sleep when I dream about my mama. So that's great. That's just wonderful. I know. Cujo himself actually became a slave of James Muir and his family, uh, who was apparently just, again, never fucking charged for anything he ever did wrong, including being a goddamn slave trader 50 years after you're supposed to not do that anymore. Hey, Whatever. dude, how did you get all these new slaves? Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, please don't worry about it. Moving on. <laughs> the Mears owned a mill and a shipyard outside of Mobile, Alabama. And they lived sort of on a plateau that was only accessible by water. And it's kind of literally called the plateau. Cujo and many other slaves worked on this land, and some people, as some of the people had arrived on the boat with Cujo, they were all Clotilla survivors, but then there were many slaves who were already there who had been there for generations, and they spoke English, and Cujo and his people did not. Yeah. So that is another quote from him. He said, we don't know why they brought us away from our country to work like this. Everybody looked at us strange. We want to talk with the other colored folks but they don't know what we say. So like they can't even talk to the other people who have at least some idea what they're going through. So Kujo and the others remained in slavery, working this land, working for the Mir family until the end of the civil war when they were freed, which is dope. Kind Um, of. I mean, we'll get into that. in Right. I'm sure it's a mixed bag for everyone depending on their situation. Um, So the story is far from over here. After they were freed, many of those who came over on the Clotilda worked to raise funds so that they could return to their home in Africa. 
but they were unable to raise enough funds with like their meager salaries of selling produce and working in lumber mills. And there just weren't enough of them and they didn't know where each other were a lot of the time and they just couldn't get enough money to get on a ship. I mean, that's a huge amount of money Yeah, when you're working that kind of job. Yeah. So eventually the group realized that they weren't going to be able to return home. And instead they worked to raise money over literally years and years of difficult work to buy the land around the Mir family's plateau where they had lived as slaves. So Cujo himself was able to buy two acres of land in this area for a hundred dollars, which is a lot of money. Yes. Um, in 1872. So he, saved up for at least like six or seven years to be able to purchase two acres of land. But he did it and a bunch of the other uh, Clotilda survivors did it um, and a bunch of the other slaves in the area did it and they had this nice little community all around where they used to have to work as slaves and no longer did. So he built a house like himself that is like still standing. Yeah, it's really cool. Um. So this land, purchased by these former slaves, was eventually dubbed Africa Town and was turned into like a self-contained community. They had their own leadership, their own church, their own school, cemetery. Um, they took many of the societal rules and norms from their communities in West Africa and applied them to the new town. So just a lot of the ways that their villages used to run, they would run it here and nobody really ever bothered them. I I mean, it might just be lucky. I think it might be the remoteness of the area and how it can only be reached by water. So they had kind of a nice thing going, at least. It's pretty cute. You might be aware that all American-born slaves became formal American citizens. Well, not all, but most. Became formal American citizens with the passage of the 14th Amendment in 1868. This did not, unfortunately, apply to foreign-born former slaves like Cujo and the people from the Catilda, So, however, I guess a lot of them went through a naturalization process, and it wasn't as long back then. So, Cujo himself was actually naturalized as a citizen later that same year. Aww. Yeah. In 1880, Cujo married another Catilda survivor named um, Abile. Her Americanized name was Cecilia. Um, Together, they had five sons and one daughter. Aww. Yeah, cute big family. Uh, Cujo worked to support their family until he was injured when his buggy was hit by a train. Oh. Yeah. I had to read that part like uh-huh. three times. I was like, train? Buggy? How did he live? But was the horse okay? Yeah, right? Oh my God, for real. Rob's oh. not. I mean, yeah. They Prob's didn't mention. not. Rob's not. I mean, if he's okay. Maybe the horse is okay. Maybe. I don't know. Either way, that horse is dead now. Yeah. Well, true. I mean, like, <laughs> it's, it was, a, it was a while ago. Yeah. Let's not worry too much about the horse. Hopefully, All right. Hopefully you on. lived an okay life. Sometimes I still think about that cow oh. that was taken upstairs. But Me like, too. it's fine. Me too. It's By fine. now, it's dead. No matter. <laughs> it was always going to be no matter what happened. happened. Exactly. <laughs> so Cujo was injured enough that he couldn't work anymore, but he was not, you know, killed and he wasn't, you know, terribly, horribly maimed. He was just, uh, had a disability now. And so he couldn't work anymore, but his community rose up around him and they appointed him the sexton of the Africatown church. So that he still had like work he could go and do. Aww. And that was very nice. So him and his wife, Abile, remained together until Abile's death in 1905. 
So they had a good 25 years together. Aww. It's very nice. So this is what we know for the most part about Cujo. Why do we know this? That is an interesting question. Because there are... I didn't ask it. <laughs> I mean, do it. Ask it. Okay. But Taylor, why do we know this? Oh, perfect. Such a good line read. Thank you very mm. much. Well, I'll tell you, Emily. Oh. <laughs> why we know this? Because it's pretty fortunate, actually, because obviously, I think many of us are aware of how many of these stories are lost to history. Yep. Just because, as we know, it's difficult to pass on your story when nobody cares to listen. Um, I'm sure there are hundreds of thousands of stories of slaves and former slaves, both American and foreign-born, whose stories are just never told because they were living hard lives and nobody went and asked them what had happened to them. They're also a very oratorical community. Sure. So it was a lot of storytelling and verbal pass downs of history Mm -hmm. and also like that little thing called racism. Oh yeah. But it is a good thing to be able to hear these stories from as many sources as possible so you can get an idea of what happened to these people and why and why this should have never been allowed to happen and how horrible it was. So Cujo's story is known in great part because of him. So when he was later in his life, early in the 20th century, he started opening up himself to speaking about his story to scholars and journalists in the area So he was interviewed by um, a writer in Mobile for a book called Sketches of the South in 1914. He had other people from the different universities in the area come down and talk to him, usually for like short form interviews as part of a larger whole of like stories of slavery and surviving that sort of thing over the next 20 or so years. So he was definitely out there and definitely putting himself out there, which was really cool. Um, But also... We owe a huge thanks of our knowledge to of Cujo's life to an African-American woman named Zora Neale Hurston. She interviewed Cujo in uh, 1927 when he was 90 goddamn years old. I mean, first of all, he lived to be 90. <laughs> like, wow. Dude survived so much, including, I mean, all the stuff we've talked about and getting hit by a train. like god i mean yeah i mean like suck it death i mean i only made it to 75 which is like still impressive that's still with the shit he goes through but also like and for the time yeah i know it's it's crazy i mean shit is i'm very proud of him good for him just out of sheer just like no fuck you i still want to be here (laughs) like so zora was a highly influential author of african-american literature and she was an anthropologist in 1920s yeah like crazy i know right pictures of her are like dope as shit too she just looks awesome she just looks like she probably doesn't take any shit from anybody it's great (laughs) she's always just sort of half smiling like what (laughs) come at me (laughs) um so yeah she was doing a lot of writing and telling stories of former slaves in the early to mid 20th century. She was also doing a lot of novel writing um, and she was a very influential author at the time. Um, So she wrote an entire book about Cujo's story. Yeah. At the time of his interview, 
Cujo was the last remaining survivor of the Cotilda ship. So she titled his book Barracoon, the story of the last black cargo. So the word barracoon, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, I guess. I mean, it's a terrible thing, so maybe not. It comes from the stockade-like barracks on ships that they used to imprison African people when they were bringing them across the ocean. So it's pretty terrible. Um, but this part is kind of lovely. It's, it's really nice that this man got to tell his story and that Zora could record it for future generations to hear. However... Because it's the early 20th century and she is a black woman trying to tell a story and he is an African man trying to tell a story and white people are terrible. Uh, it didn't go super good. Nope. As far as the whole publishing it went. Um, in 1931, Zora sent the manuscript of her book to a publisher, same publisher she'd used in the past, and they didn't want it. She tried again and again, sending it to different publishers. Nobody would print it. They just... They just didn't want to hear the story of the 116 people who survived the Cotilda and what they did after. So Cujo Lewis died that same year in 1931. Aww. Yeah, at the age of 90 fucking four. Jesus. Good for him. <laughs> I really hope he wasn't too disappointed by the fact that like the story hadn't been published yet since she was just taking it to the publisher. I sort of hope that he, when he died, he didn't know that there was a really good chance his story was never going to get published. I really hope he wasn't too disappointed. He definitely had already done so much for his family and his community, and he had told his story before in shorter form to other journalists, and so his story is sort was sort of out there, at least. I hope he felt satisfied with that. He had a chance to tell it. Yeah. In full. Mm-hmm. And it was written down. Yeah. So, like... And Zora listened, like she was still there to listen, regardless. Zora, very unfortunately, died in poverty in 1960. Oh. I know. Huge influential writer dies in poverty because the world is shit. So the manuscript for Barracoon never was published before she died. It sat in the archives at Howard University where she had gone to college. Until, until the spring of last year, Jesus, what? 2018, <laughs> yeah, publisher Harper Collins finally published Barracoon on May 8th, 2018, like damn near a hundred years <laughs> after this shit was written. Like, wow. <laughs> this is a quote from the introduction of the book talking about how many of these books about the slave trade were written from the point of view of the traders themselves. So this is, these are Zora's words. All these words from the seller and not one from the sold. The kings and captains whose words move ships and not one from the cargo. The thoughts of black ivory and the coin of Africa had no market value. So just before the book was published... The Independent uh, did a story on one of Cujo's descendants. His name is Gary Lumbers, and he is Cujo's great-great-grandson, and he grew up in the house that Cujo built. So, like, his family was, like, still there. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if he still lived there at the time, but he grew up there, and he talked about hearing stories from his grandmother about how her father then survived 
and built this house and this like community and he like really loved hearing about this man his whole life who had sort of built this whole thing around them um so when he heard that this book was being like printed finally they talked to him and his quote was i am delighted i am so proud so grateful that his story is going to be published and that it won't ever be forgotten oh yeah and then one last thing i just wanted to end on one more quote over the course of interviewing Cujo for the book, Zora got to know him pretty well. They had a lot of really intense conversations. The book has a lot of her own response to like his thoughts and things like that. She saw him really go through some stuff when he was trying to remember like the night that he was taken and what it was like on the ship and like parts where he would just walk away from her and be talking and stop talking and then wouldn't even realize she was getting up to leave because he was just so lost in thought. So they had a lot of really intense moments together. And she describes him after all that like this. The only man on earth who has his heart in the memory of his African home. The horrors of a slave raid, the barracoon, the Lenten tones of slavery. And who has 67 years of freedom in a foreign land behind him. So yeah. That is the story of Cujo Lewis and Zora. And all those other people who survived the Clotilda, a terrible ship, but at least like those people made a community together. And that's nice. At least. <laughs> They're going to hold on to the nice parts, Em. <laughs> I need a shot. Yeah, that's that's fair, Emily. <laughs> We're going to do another shot. This is not going to get better. No, I mean, that one was. I don't know. That probably one's as light lighter as than get. mine. It's probably as light as you could get if it's you take these stories. <laughs> I'm not prepared for yours in the least bit. Hey, do you want to do a um, a harp noise? Yeah. Oh, we're doing it. We're gonna take another shot. Uh -huh. Hey, um, listener, uh, you can singular too. listener, singular listener who is left after that, um, and who still wants to hear Emily's story, which is worse, <laughs> but also like really amazing. <laughs> Good. No, I'm excited. Um, just saying, you can also take a drink right now. And we're back. Da -da 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 -da. I hope you guys took a drink, because we did. <laughs> oh, we did. Shit's about to get weird. That was kind of a big one. That was a really big one. We're using shooter glasses, so you kind of just got to like eyeball how much is a shot, and I definitely overshot at that time. Oh, yeah. I got them in New York. They're really pretty. They are but really also, pretty. like... But they get you fucked. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> get ready for some more burps. I'll have to edit out. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, I'm so afraid. <laughs> I am going to start. Mm -hmm. Not with a quote. Ha! Oh! Gotcha! But, okay. I mean, it that, doesn't make it any better. Yeah, but, that lulls um, me into a false sense of security, and I don't think I should. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about Robert Smalls. There's... A, I don't know, I just felt like that was familiar. Uh-huh, because okay. there's this post that tends to, like go around on Facebook every February. Oh, sure. Of like, they need to make a movie about this guy. Oh. Like, hmm. there's so many movies, blah, 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 but this guy's done this, 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 and this. Right, but then the movie never gets made, and here no. we are. So, <laughs> I'm going to give you guys some context so that when you see this post inevitably show up on your Facebook. <laughs> Good. You'll have some information. We, yeah. It. We at least know what the fuck anyone's talking about. 
So That's awesome. Robert Smalls was born on April 5th, 1839. Sounds good. Hi, Robert. Behind his owner's city house at 511 Prince Street in Beaufort, South Carolina. His mother, Lydia, served in the house but grew up in the fields. Where, at the age of nine, she had been taken from her own family on the Sea Islands. Oh, shit. So she did that sail mm-hmm. at the age of nine. Oh, God. It's not clear who Smalls' father was. Some say it was his owner, John McKee. Mm. Others, the son of the owner, Henry. And then some say it was the plantation manager, Patrick Smalls. Huh. Nobody knows. Okay, great. There's this weird thing that happens on plantations where if you don't view the women as people, mm-hmm. they can justify literally anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that mean that all three of those dudes had to look at each other at one point and go, well, it might be any of us. Like, what the fuck is that? Well, all they knew is Robert was of mixed race, like me, Mm -hmm. and he was favored by the family over all of the other slave children. Because he was mixed race? Yes. Okay. Because he might have been the owners. Okay. Or he might have been the plantation managers. Mm-hmm. We don't know. So he grew up under the influence of the Low Country Gullah, which was the culture of his mother. It was something that was created by the slave community in the South. Their own spin on Creole and just it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Google it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time like getting into it. Totes fair. Because <laughs> it's its own entity. Sure. So it's like Creole with an extra twist. Right. So his mother was worried because he was favored. He wasn't forced to do a lot of the other things that everyone else was. Mm-hmm. So his mother wanted to make sure he understood the horror of the the institution that he was born into. Sure. Mm-hmm. So she arranged to make sure he was educated by sending him into the fields to work, where he would also have to watch slaves at the whipping post. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. A quote from his great-granddaughter, Helen Bulware Moore, is the result of this lesson led Robert to defiance. I mean, defiance of the system of the owners? Okay. It lit like a fire in him. Hmm. That's going to come into play later. Legit. So he frequently found himself in the Beaufort jail. (laughs) And Smalls' mother figured out that the plan had worked so well. Right. That she was genuinely fearing for her son's safety. She 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 birthed a little, like, rebellious dude. Uh-huh. And then fed the fire. Oh, my gosh. So she asked the plantation owner to allow her son to go into Charleston to be rented out to work. Okay. And because she worked in the house and tend, tended to be that house slaves were more favored than the field slaves, mm-hmm. 
and with the soft spot for Robert, the wish was granted. Okay. Hmm. So when he was 12, he was sent to Charleston and was hired out as a laborer for $1 a week. Hmm. And the rest of his wages got paid to his master. So he worked at a hotel, and then he was a lamplighter. And then in his teens, he figured out that he really loved working on the sea. Oh. So he started working in the docks and in the wharves. Mm-hmm. So he worked his way up. He was a longshoreman, and then he was a rigger and a sailmaker. And eventually he became a wheelman, which is kind of like a pilot. Yeah. But not. Because he couldn't get the title of pilot because he was black. So he would. They, so they, he did all the work of a pilot. But they just wouldn't say they he just was a didn't pilot. Call him the pilot. Oh, so wait, what? Wheelman is just a wheel shitty man. under term uh-huh. for pilot. Uh huh. Okay. Cool. Great. He so, steers the ship, though. That's kind yeah. of a big fucking deal. <laughs> yeah. First of all, before we get too far, can we just talk for a second about what a like willful and intelligent woman his mother is? Yeah. <laughs> Who was just like, let's just like, do all this. <laughs> listen, I want him to be educated. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> oh. oh fuck. Oh I my my brilliant plan worked too well and now right. my son is in danger. <laughs> I need him to not be here. <laughs> wow. Like that is amazing uh-huh. though that she was like, I'm gonna make him see all this. Yeah. Yes. So at the age of seventeen, Smalls married Hannah Jones, who was a hotel maid. She was five years his senior and already had two children. Mm. They were both girls. Mm. So they had three children of their own. Their first child was Elizabeth Lydia Smalls. Uh, Three years later, they had their son, Robert Jr., who died at the age of two. Mm -hmm. And then they did eventually have a third child. But Robert wanted to pay for their freedom by purchasing them outright. And again, this is another problem. It was $800 which is the equivalent to $22,308 in 2018. Woof. Oh, my God. But he had only managed to save up $100. Oh. So it would have taken him literal decades to reach the, reach the 800 Yeah. Oh, my God. So in April of 1861, the little thing called the Civil War starts. Oh, that thing. Huh. The Battle of Fort Sumter. <laughs> nearby in the Charleston Harbor. <laughs> so real close. Mm-hmm. In the fall of 1861, Smalls was assigned to steer the uh, CSS planter because inscripting slaves to fight in the war was a thing. So whether or not they wanted to. He's fighting for the Confederacy? Yes. Great. Yeah, I'm sure he loves uh-huh. that. Absolutely. (laughs) So the CSS planter was a a lightly armed Confederate military transport Mm -hmm. under the command of the Charleston District Commander Brigadier General Roswell S. Ripley. Oh. So the ship's duties were basically to deliver dispatches and troops, supplies, you know, lay mines in the water, whatever they needed to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And he piloted the planter, hmm. even though that, like, wasn't his title. He was a wheelman. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Whatever. So He's a pilot. He, Fuck it. Yeah. So he knew the layout of everything really well. And when he was out doing deliveries and stuff, they saw the blockades and they saw everything. So he knew where shit was. So 
on the evening of May 12th, 1862, the planter docked as usual, and the three white officers disembarked to spend the night ashore, Mm -hmm. leaving Smalls and the rest of the African crew on board, as it was customary. Just to chill and not have anywhere to really sleep? Uh Uh-huh. Great. So at about 3 a.m., Smalls and seven of the eight slave crewmen mm-hmm. decided to act on a plan they'd previously made for an escape Yes, to the Union blockade ships. Yes. So Get it. Smalls put on the captain's uniform and put on the straw hat he was known for wearing <laughs> and then sailed off into the night. Oh, my God. And went past the southern wharf, stopped at another wharf to pick up his wife and children and the families of the other crewmen. Damn. They then kept going (laughs) past five Confederate harbor forts (laughs) without incident. Right, because they're a Confederate ship. All the correct signals to give. Yeah. He knew the hand signals. He had the straw hat. Like everybody knows he's the wheelman anyway. And and because Robert was mixed race in the dark he could pass as being lighter skinned <laughs> so they were just like sure dang yeah so they kept on going the alarm was raised once but again because everything is just so fucking slow by the time the alarm was raised they were already gone <laughs> oh my god awesome so I just see this as like the slowest moving heist of all time. It's just working out because nothing's fast enough to stop them, but they're also just like killing it. Yeah. That's awesome. So as soon as they were close enough to the Union Navy fleet, they took down the Confederate flags and he'd had his wife make a white flag. Oh, nice. Good. Surrender immediately. Uh Otherwise, what the fuck? With a bed sheet. Nice. And they raised that. The planter was spotted by the USS Onward, which was literally about to fire until they saw the white sheet. Because, like, as they were arriving, the sun started rising so they could see it. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, they 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 would have been fucked. Clearly a Confederate ship just, like, over the horizon. Like, (laughs) So Robert Smalls, apparently, per the, like, documentation of the court-martial... Of the three white officers, mm-hmm. by the way. Oh. <laughs> they were all court-martialed. Really? Just for not being around when this mm-hmm. happened? Uh-huh. 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 Get fucked. Uh-huh. <laughs> Robert Smalls apparently stepped forward when they were close enough to the onward, took off his hat, and shouted, Good morning, sir. I brought you some of the old United States guns, sir. <laughs> <laughs> dude. He's cheeky as fuck. I was gonna say, my dude didn't give a fuck. I yeah. love him. <laughs> so, as a summary up to this point, in the middle of the Civil War, Robert Smalls, who wasn't even considered a person, mm-hmm. stole a Confederate ship <laughs> and delivered 17 black passengers, nine men, five women, and three children from slavery to freedom. Dang. Uh... I love that he stopped for all their family, too. Like, they really pulled out all the stops on this one. And, like, they had agreed they had no intention of being taken alive. 
like they were gonna fucking sink that ship if they got taken wow. in by the Confederates. Oof, the bravery. They were not going back. Yeah, because like, what would have happened to them if they had been returned oh to my their God. master after doing that? Ooh. It would have been worse than death. Yeah. So Captain, at this time, Captain. Just remember that. Mm-hmm. E.G. Dupont wrote back to the Navy Secretary in Washington on the Union side, saying. Robert, the intelligent slave and pilot, pilot nice. of the boat, who performed this bold feat so skillfully, informed me of the capture of the Sumter gun, which was on board, presuming it would be a matter of interest. <laughs> I think oh. you might be interested in this. He is superior to any who have come into our lines, intelligent as many of them have been. DuPont sent the families off and personally took care of everyone that was on the planter. Awesome. He took the flags, the captured flags from the ship, the Confederate flags, and mailed them to Washington. (laughs) In May 30th of 1862, Congress passed a private bill that authorized the Navy to appraise the planter and award Smalls and his crew half of the proceeds for, quote, rescuing her from the enemies of the government. Fucking Smalls dumb. received $1,500 Whoa. in payment. Whoa. Hell yeah, that's so much. Yeah. Which is the equivalent of $37,645. Thank you for having that. I was just going to uh-huh. ask. <laughs> Dope. Here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. He received 1500 But... The Confederates had put a bounty on his head. Oh, no. Of $4,000. Oh, shit. What is, what is that, like 100000 I didn't actually do the math for that one. Hold on. So, you were pretty damn close. Nice. $4,000 would have been equivalent to $99,448.25. Dude, yeah. Holy shit. That is a lot. I never not happy that their ship was stolen. Well, by a slave. I mean, yeah, they're just like, ouchies my pride. And also we had good stuff on that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Good gun there. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck y'all. They'd also picked up like a shit ton of ammo the day before, too. Um, (laughs) So like (laughs) maybe don't just like leave people who are in slavery alone on your ship and expect them to not be like, I got. I would like to be free now. I Goodbye. Think, I know how to sail this ship. Right. I do Literally, everything. we've been crewing for you. Just because you don't give me a title doesn't mean I don't know everything you know. Surprise! <laughs> so, in the North, Smalls was obviously seen as a hero. Yes. And he kind of rode on this. And personally lobbied the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, to begin enlisting black soldiers for nice. the Union. They weren't doing it. Not conscripting me. them to fight. Okay. Asking them to enlist. Okay. So after President Lincoln, you know, did his thing a few months later, Smalls was said to have recruited 5,000 soldiers by himself for the Union. Holy shit. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of dudes. Uh-huh. In October of 1862, he returned to the planter as pilot. 
Yes. As part of now Admiral DuPont's South Atlantic Blockading Squadron. Uh huh. Mm. Hi, DuPont. I see you. So, according to the 1883 Naval Affairs Committee report, Smalls was engaged in approximately 17 military actions, including the April 7th assault on Fort Sumter and the attack on Folly Island Creek, South Carolina. And he fully assumed the command of the planter when they were under a, quote, very hot fire. When its captain became so demoralized that he hid in the coal bunker. Oh, my God. So Smalls just, like, stepped up and was like, all right. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So for his valiancy, Smalls was promoted to the rank of captain. Nice. Fuck yes. And from December of 1863 on, he earned $150 a month. Oh, my dude's doing good making him one of the highest paid black soldiers of the war. Wow. When the war ended in 1865, April of 1865, Smalls was on board the planter in the ceremony at the Charleston Harbor. Nice. That's so cool. Here's my favorite part. Yes, 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 yes. Immediately following the war, Smalls returned to his native Beaufort because he bought his freedom. He was a freed man. Mm Mm-hmm. He purchased his former master's house. Shut up. What the, what's the biggest fuck you you could ever think of? Because <laughs> the Union tax authorities had seized it in 1863 for refusal to pay taxes. Oh, dang. The former owner tried to sue Robert to regain the property. Nah. But he retained ownership in the court case. Well, yeah, he didn't do anything illegal. He just bought exactly. a house that had been taken away so from So that dude. case... <laughs> oh, my God. That case became an important precedent in other similar cases. Nice. His mother, Lydia, lived with him for the remainder of her life. Oh, yes. Fuck yeah, Lydia. And he allowed his former master's wife, the now elderly Jane Bond McKee, to move into her former home prior to her death. Dope. Smalls spent nine months learning to read and write. So after the war. After the war. Is when he learns to read and write. After the war. Cool, 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 cool. Tight, 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 (laughs) tight. And he also purchased a two-story Beaumont building to use as a school for African-American children. Wow. That's awesome. Wow, what a historical badass. Oh, you thought we were done? I mean, look. No. You did say it was going to be not... sad, and, like, it started out that way, and then it got really cool. We're getting there. So, okay. Because no. he's now uh, going into politics. Oh. I mean, this is Reconstruction okay. now. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. there was, like, that tiny little period where we let African-American people do stuff. Uh-huh. And then... And then we didn't. And then not so much. Yeah. He was in politics. When that happened. Oh, okay. All right. All right so now I'm prepared. Yeah. <laughs> so he did a bunch of cool things. Opened a business. Helped try and get a store specifically for the freedmen. He hired teachers. Like, he was a Republican back when. Back when that was cool. Was flipped. Yeah. So this is like the time he kind of starts getting into politics is when. They passed the 14th Amendment, 
and passed the Civil Rights Act. This is cool. He did help with a few other people. They formed the Enterprise Railroad, which was an 18-mile horse-drawn railway line that carried cargo and passengers between the Charleston Wharves and the Inland Depots. So except for one white director, the railroad's board of directors were entirely African-American. Whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. Such a huge business to be yes. all African-American run yeah. like that. Um, he also owned and helped publish a black-owned newspaper nice. called the Beaufort Southern Standard, which started in 1872. So and... many fingers and so many pies, my dude. What a yeah. busy guy. Yeah. And then he fucking gets into politics. I mean, like, because he needed more to do, you know? He was One a... of his fingers wasn't in a pie. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was a delegate at the 1868 Southern Carolina Constitutional Convention. Nice. And he was part of the effort to make free compulsory schooling available to all South Carolina children. Nice. He also served as a delegate at several Republican national conventions. He participated in South Carolina Republican state conventions. And in 1868, he was also elected to the South Carolina House of Representatives. Man, he was all over it. He introduced the Homestead Act. Oh, yeah. And he also introduced and worked to pass the Civil Rights Bill. So then in 1870, Jonathan Jasper Wright was elected to judge the South Carolina Supreme Court. And Smalls was then elected to fill his unexpired time in the Senate. Oh, wow. Okay. So he then continued in the Senate, winning the 1872 election against W.J. Whipper. Horrible name. (laughs) That's really bad. Um. (laughs) And in the Senate, he was considered a very good speaker and debater. And he was on the Finance Committee, and he chaired the Public Printing Committee. I mean, look, that's not a committee that exists now. It's kind of hilarious but that like, that was a thing. It was a thing. We do need to take a look at what we're printing for the like, public. It's important. <laughs> it's, it's about the pamphlets, you see. It's about the pamphlets. <laughs> so he was again then a delegate to the National Republican Convention in 1872, mm-hmm. which nominated Grant for president. Oh, Yeah. Great. And then in 1876 in Cincinnati, which nominated Hayes. And Ugh. then in 1884 in Chicago, which nominated Blaine. I have no opinion about him. <laughs> <laughs> I just know the other two were subpar. <laughs> yeah. And then he continued to go to the conventions until 1896. Bang. Now, here's my thing. I'm pretty sure he was roughly the same age as pretty my close. guy. Because they say he was born around ni- uh, 1840. Uh huh. And he, you said 1839. Yeah. So he's getting up there. Yeah. Yeah. Like by, oh, yeah. By the late 1890s. Oh, my uh-huh. God. He was also elected vice president of the South Carolina Republican Party at their 1872 state convention. Nice. Like, he's important. I mean, yeah, people are clearly investing a lot of power in him and, like, really letting him handle a lot of I shit. I mean, I it's think awesome. this thing helped. In 1873, he'd been appointed lieutenant colonel of the 3rd Regiment of the South Carolina State Militia. So he's a high-ranking officer, too. And then he was later promoted to brigadier general. Dang! So, like, that helped. He's got a lot of connections, which he should, because he's clearly dope at stuff. Yeah. So, 
It's still... He's still black, though. Sure. Yeah. 1875, he opposed the transfer of troops out of the South, fearing that the effect of such a move Uh would seriously endanger blacks in the South. Do you mean that he called it 100%? Yeah. That he absolutely knew what would super happen? (laughs) Yeah. Fucking A. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, the Compromise of 1877 happened. The U.S. government withdrew its remaining forces from South Carolina and other southern states. And the conservative southern bourbon Democrats, who called themselves the Redeemers, suddenly resorted to violence and election fraud to regain control of the state legislature. Oh my god, what? No. Are you kidding? Smalls at one point, was not only charged, but convicted of taking a bribe in connection with the awarding of a printing contract. He was pardoned due to an agreement where the charges were also going to be dropped against the Democrats who were accused of election fraud. Oh, so it was like a hostage situation. Yes. Like, we'll only drop this if you drop that on him, but his, are, his charges are bullshit. So it took its toll... On his political career. Yeah. Because, I mean, he already barely had a leg to stand on, given everything. Right. So, he lost his seat in the Senate. Poor dude. (laughs) But, he got it back. Shut up. He served non-consecutively? Yeah. Amazing. He served five terms (laughs) (laughs) non-consecutively. What a fucking badass. (laughs) So... He got it back in eighteen eighty two. That's so great. Um Suck because it. he contested the eighteen eighty results. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. And then in eighteen eighty four he was elected to fill a seat in a different district. Because they could like district hop back then, no problem. Did he have to live in the district? He probably had properties in all the districts. Oh, maybe, yeah. Because there was that weird thing right. of if you're a property owner, you have a lot of power. Yeah, fair. Mainly because you can jump from district to district <laughs> in the politics. Right. He was nominated for the Senate, but then was defeated by Wayne Hampton, Wade Hampton in 1886. But during this period in Congress that he was back... He supported racial integration legislation, um, and he advised South Carolina blacks to refrain from emigrating to the North and Midwest or to Liberia. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was yeah. like a huge Liberia movement for a yeah. bit there. Yeah. Because it was a settlement of the American Colonization Society. Right. When they thought black people, who some of whom had been born in the U.S., would totally be fine being shipped back to Africa where they've never been, where they don't speak the language. Right. It's like, ugh. I get the idea. It's nice, but also, oh man, like, it's a bit late. What? <laughs> like, oh no. Like this family's been here for three generations. Right. And you're just now sending them to Africa. Right. I get it's probably the earliest opportunity you had, but at this point, things, things are different. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not the same as it was. So... Yeah, that was the thing that happened. If you didn't know that, also Google it. Yeah, uh, it's It's weird. Not good. (laughs) No. Some people went willingly, but like, not everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So, in 1890, he was appointed by President Benjamin Harrison 
Mm -hmm. as collector of the Port of Beaufort, which is a position he held up to 1913, except during Democrat Grover Cleveland's second term. So there was a gap in there. Okay. All right. I mean, okay. He got it back, but like for a little bit, it wasn't his job. For Christ's sake. (laughs) Also, uh, every single one of these presidents we've mentioned uh, has been a garbage trash pile. So (laughs) this is a really good era for presidents. (laughs) So he was still active in politics into the 20th century. So he was a delegate nice. again in 1895 to the South Carolina Constitutional Inven- Convention. I almost said invention. <laughs> and together with five other black politicians, he strongly opposed the white Democratic efforts that year to disenfranchise black citizens. Oh, oh, good. I mean, huh. Christ. Huh. 1895. Huh. I mean, the what utter year. The utter transparency of it is only rivaled by the transparency of the same type of shit that's happening literally right literally now. Literally right now. They wrote an article for the New York World to publicize the issues. But that state constitution was still ratified. Great. Mushu. I'm so sorry. My cat is trying to destroy a toy. <laughs> He's been ignoring it this whole fucking time. But like right now, apparently what? talking about disenfranchising black people gets him angry. He's racist, so... <laughs> so... It. <laughs> did you just call my cat racist? Super did. Wow. He's trying to silence you right now. Wow. <laughs> Super racist. I will not be silenced. Plus, look at him. He's white. It's like a white ginger. <laughs> I have to go. I don't live here anymore. Oh, you don't live in your own house? No. Ah, squatter's rights. I live here now. <laughs> Isn't that going to be a surprise when Cat gets home? <laughs> I'll be like, what's up, bitch? <laughs> we got, I'm perched like a pterodactyl on the back of your couch. <laughs> Caca, motherfucker. I live here now. She'll be like, all right. Yeah, uh, okay. I mean, okay, I guess. Where's Emily? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, it and similar constitutions across the surprise south. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm just shocked right now. Past challenges that reached the Supreme Court, resulting in the exclusion of African Americans from politics across the South, and thereby crippling the Republican Party in the region. So, in the late 1890s, he began to suffer from the diabetes. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. He's like, he's like, a little over 60 years old now. Yeah. He turned down an offer to basically run a black regiment in the Spanish-American War. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was the thing. Um, go back to war? I don't know about that. Yeah. And he also turned down the post of minister to Liberia. Oh, man. <laughs> He's probably like, I didn't want people to go there in the first place. <laughs> no, like thank this. you. Even though he hit... A lot of bumps along the way. Mm-hmm. And I was going to talk about Jim Crow laws and all of that shit. Look, if these people don't know about Jim Crow laws, there's something called Google. Like we've yeah, been saying. Yeah, you can Google it. It's You should look you it up. You should have learned about it in school. Yes. If you sincerely don't know, please look like, it up. Please. Because 
the resurgence of some very specific laws has been happening uh-huh. in different states, particularly North Carolina recently. So uh-huh. if, you, if you just want to maybe look into it for your own knowledge. You know, just take a gander. It would be very good. So his final act, one of his final acts as a community leader in 1913, mm-hmm. he played a very important role in stopping a lynch mob from killing two black suspects in the murder of a white man. Dang. He pressured the mayor, saying that blacks he sent throughout the city would burn the town down if the mob wasn't stopped. Oh, shit. Literally, like, he's like, hey, I have people everywhere. Mm -hmm. I will destroy your homes if you kill these men. You want violence? I You're will gonna give get you it. violence. Oh, my God. Understandably, both the mayor and the sheriff stopped the mob. Uh-huh. He had three kids, like I said, with mm-hmm. his first wife, Hannah. Mm-hmm. Hannah died July 28th of 1883. Mm. On April 9th of 1890, Robert remarried Annie E. Wig and had another kid, a son named William Robert Smalls. She was a school teacher. Oh. But she died in 1895. Oh, geez. Smalls himself died of malaria and diabetes in 1915. Oh, my God. Just out there getting malaria. Also, he was 75 goddamn years old, so. And he died in the same house behind which he had been born. Oh, Wow. Yeah, that he had, like, purchased, mm-hmm. and he just stayed there the whole rest of the time. Good for him. The house is still standing. Wow. And right now, if you take, like, a realtor's tour of it, it's worth $1.2 million. I bet. Because it's a big plantation house. Mm-hmm. Those houses are huge, even by our standards. And probably haunted. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. So fucking haunted, So dude. haunted. Oh, my God. So many ghosts. Yeah, dude. Oh, no. So he was buried in his family's plot in the churchyard of the Tabernacle Baptist Church down in Beaufort. And the monument to Smalls in this churchyard is inscribed with a statement that he made to the South Carolina legislature in 1895 when he was trying to keep himself from getting disenfranchised. (laughs) My race needs no special defense. For the past history of them in this country proves them to be the equal of any people anywhere. All they need is an equal chance in the battle of life. Fuck yeah. Yeah. We should quote him more. Yeah. So that's Robert. Wow. Good job, Robert. You really killed it at like all of life, like the whole time. Yeah. Way to go. Props to your mom too. Yeah. Oh, man. Look, honestly, like, this subject is a downer as fuck, but that was less of a downer episode than I was expecting it to be. Yeah. Because at least, like... I cut out a lot of the more downer stuff. Sure. But, like, he has such an empowering story overall. and so impressive. Yes. He is a very... Stole the ship. Impressive, dude. Fought in the Civil War. Yeah. Kicked some ass, became a literal captain, Mm -hmm. moved up to a brigadier general, and then fucking went into politics. Right. Was a senator, non-consecutively, for five (laughs) terms. (laughs) But, like, it also seemed like he was always, he was rising up, but he was always bringing other black people along with him. Oh, yeah. He would make the schools and stuff so they could learn to read and write. He was empowering 
everyone he could. That's the best. That's the best kind of person. Yeah. That's so great. Good for him. And I really do think they should make a movie about him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh that could have been worse, everyone. I hope <laughs> you had sufficient drinks to help you get through that. And I hope, you know, we'll all just, you know, turn this off. We'll all have a good stew about our country's history and what's happening right how now. How crazy everything is right now. It's probably good to remember all this shit so that it's we important. Can, yeah. It's super important. Mm -hmm. Seriously, go take a look at the law that just got turned down by the Supreme Court in North Carolina because it is the most, and they said this, the court said this, it is the most restrictive voting law that they have seen since Jim Crow, and it is so blatantly about stopping black people from voting that it is almost funny. <laughs> They're like, really? You didn't think... You, you didn't think, think we didn't would think know? This one? <laughs> you thought you could just sneak just this one on by? Shove it under the rug. <laughs> call like, it a day. No one's going to notice. It's crazy. We can't let that shit happen. We already let it happen. Like, Reconstruction was almost dope. It really was. So close. It was so close. Unfortunately, we needed literal military, like, threat to stop people from being dicks to black people for, a, a, like, a whole couple decades. Uh, and then we just ruined it. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, well man we made it through that i hope that we educated some people i felt like i educated myself today which is good and yeah. you have educated me so yeah. that is good i hope you go punch a nazi go punch a nazi go google a bunch of stuff um take a look at some shit in our history in general maybe do some compare and contrast maybe you haven't had to do that since school do some like critical make a thinking diagram. yeah make a pros and cons list <laughs> of america do whatever you need to do and also you know finally just like uh don't forget your can of water <laughs> god damn it <laughs> i really just wanted this so <sighs> i mean as long as we were giving advice just like just like don't just like don't forget your can of water I need a shot. <laughs>